so forth. Okay, so Graham, you're now good to record. Go. We're not under law. Okay? We're not under Moses. In fact, out with Moses, out with the covenant, out with the Decalogue, out with the Old Testament. It's just Jesus now. Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard any of that stuff being said recently? Who said it? Me! Yes! Thank you! Absolutely, you got it, you're listening, thank you. Me! So what is this guy from the UK going on about? Why is he so vicious and so radical about the Old Testament? That's what I want to look at with you today. So what happens now? So are we now lawless? Are we, have you heard of this term? Antinomian, has anybody ever heard that term? Antinomian is from the Greek. It means without law. Am I suggesting then the Old Testament's out, the Decalogue is out, Moses is out, so therefore it's a free-for-all? We're not. On what basis? You've got to justify what you've just said, you see. On what basis? There's a new law. Yes, there's a great God, and there is a new law. There is. Let me show you. Oh, I haven't got my screen. <laughs> this is, this is going to be a struggle today. I haven't got my screen. Have you got Bibles? Can we make sure all the green Bibles are out? You're going to need Bibles. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9. Turn to your Bible. Thanks, Graham. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to do this the old-fashioned way, okay? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. You don't have to turn to all the passages today, but at least turn to this one. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. In fact, Sarah, you're there. Why don't you read as loudly as you can for us, Sarah? 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. What did he say? He's not under the law, Mosaic law anymore, but he's not an antinomian. He's under, he's under a new law. Do you see? And that's important. So then we have to understand, we don't just become, you know, we don't just make it up now. We've moved from Moses, yes, but we look, Paul says he's not under that legal system anymore, okay? But it doesn't mean he's an antinomian because he's now under Christ's law. The new covenant comes with its own set of laws, okay? We move from one set to a new set, and Christ is the head of that. So that's what we're looking at together. But here's the question. So have we just, is Christianity just one set of laws in place of another? Is, is all that's really happened is we change the law giver? It's a question. Have we just moved from one law system to another? No, we haven't, Graham. I want to show you that. Christ's law is not just another set of laws. It's something entirely different. In fact, Christ's law, as Pippa's reading demonstrated, if we quote some of Galatians 2, it's a whole new system 
or principle for living. It's not just swapping one set of laws for another. It's moving from law to an entirely different system of living. It's called Christ's law, but it's not law in the conventional sense. I want to share that with you. So here's the heading, which you're not going to see, but here's the heading. You're going to have to write this down, okay? What does Christ's law look like? That's what we're asking. If we're now under this system, which, which is called Christ's law, but it's not really law, what does Christ's law look like? And does it have any correlation to Moses? It's the question we're asking. If you've got a pen, it may help you to write it down. What does Christ's law look like? And does it have any correlation to Moses? We're asking, if we're not under Moses, what, do that, what should our lives therefore look like? And does what our lives... Uh, what our lives are meant to look like, does that have any relevance to Moses? Does it look anything like the mosaic system? So here's, here's where we're going. Okay, so we've already hinted that it's a new law, but it's not a law system. Okay, it's because at the heart of Jesus' law, and it, you can answer here if you can. Let me ask you a question. What is at the heart of this law system that Jesus brings us what is center to Jesus' law? Does anybody know? Maybe I'm not phrasing it well. Love, it is love. You got it. Yeah, maybe it was, uh, I'm better than I think I am. I'm probably clearer in English than I thought I was. Thank you, Jim, okay? It is. The question was asking, what is foundational to Christ's law? It's in John 13. John 13 is the last evening of Jesus' life. It's the Passover discourse. It's all in preparation for the new covenant, which is just about to inaugurate and introduce. And it says these words, and it's directly related to this covenant. A new command I give you... It's the quintessential command of the new covenant. What is that command? Sorry, you can't see, can you? Uh, what is that command? Yes, thank you. A new command I give you, love one another. So at the Passover meal, Jesus is inaugurating the new commandment, okay, which is associated with his new covenant. And the new commandment is a single commandment. In fact, you could argue the new covenant, the covenant of Christ or the Lord of Christ, only has one law. It's love one another. That is it. And in fact, again, you can't see, unless you can follow me around in the Bible, uh, Romans 13, if you want to turn to it, Romans 13, 10, this is what it says, love does no harm to his neighbor, therefore love, do you know how it goes? Love is the fulfillment of what? Of the law. So Moses has gone, everything, and we're left with one commandment, and the one commandment fulfills all of the law. Romans 13, this is exactly what it says, okay? Love is the fulfillment of the law. So the point being that Moses is gone, we now have Christ's law, but it's not a law system, it's all anchored on one command, it's the command to love. So Galatians 5, if you would turn to Galatians 5, it's where people read from us in chapter 2 in Galatians 5, it says exactly the same thing. Galatians 5 verse 14, Galatians 5 verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. You know it by now. What is the single command? Love one another. The entire law. What Paul is saying there, friends, and it's important to understand this, all of that 
The reason it's out, the reason it's gone, the reason Moses is out, is because everything that God expected of us is now summed up in one phrase. Love one another. Well, it is. It's anchored in grace. Love one another. And you be thinking, you ought to be thinking, surely the greatest command, surely the one command that sums up everything is love to love God. Now it's love one another. Why? Why is it love one another? Pardon? That's how it works. You see, because when we love one another, we're doing that out of the love that we receive from God who commands us to love one another. So if we love one another, we're obeying Him and therefore demonstrating love for Him. And by loving one another, we love God and fulfill His ultimate purpose for our existence. And you see, the point is here, the reason the Decalogue is out, when I said that, I was being serious. It wasn't... It wasn't um, exaggeration, hyperbole, the Decalogue is out. The Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. It's out. It's gone. Because it's been replaced with one command to love one another. You see, if you love one another, you do not need me to tell you to not murder him. Do you? Because if you love him, who's ever loved someone and murdered them? Who's ever loved someone and stolen their goods? See, if I steal from Sylvia, okay, that's not expressing love, okay, because who am I loving when I'm expressing Sylvia? It's not Sylvia, myself. it's myself. I'm putting my needs above hers. But if I'm in a loving relationship with Sylvia, I do not need to be told not to steal from her because the Lord of love governs how we exist. So in John 13, 34, what we said earlier, Jesus is given the commandment of the new covenant, the command of Christ. I give you one commandment, love one another. Loving one another is the climax of the covenant. And in one sense, if the Jews kept the old covenant law, it would have finally revealed itself in them loving each other. They never got there, and so Jesus has come along and has given us this ultimate command. It's a bit like this. Let me illustrate it for you. God willing, we're going to be in heaven together, Stephanie. Does that sound like hell? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> right, okay. It's a big place, okay? You won't have to sit in the same room as me, okay? Look, God willing, we're going to be in heaven together, right? Will there be laws in heaven? No. no. Yeah. Let me ask you. No. Of course there won't. Because by the time we get to heaven, what kind of relationship will we exist in? Love. And when we love each other, will you really need to be told in heaven, Sarah, love Stephanie. Don't steal from her. Don't kill her. Will, it, will any of us need to be told that? Because when we get to heaven... The law of love will be fulfilled. You see, thus far, the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Jesus. It's no longer in force, is what we're saying. Now the law of Christ is in force, and it's only one law, is love one another. When we get to heaven, that law will be fulfilled. Meaning, we will be in such a loving relationship, there won't be any banners in heaven, do not commit adultery. That's not going to be in heaven, is it? Do not murder, do not steal, keep the Lord's name holy. Because if you needed that, you shouldn't be there, should you? 
Because by the time we get to heaven, the law will be so fulfilled that we will, we will be the embodiment of it. There won't be police authorities. There won't be high courts. Do you know, I'll be out of a job. Seriously, I will. Why? Why, why will I be out of a job? Yeah, I won't need to tell you to be kind to Leanne. You see, because that's what a minister is doing, isn't it? Can you see what a minister is doing? He's bringing Jesus' words to bear on us. And he's demonstrating through Jesus' word what love looks like. I won't need to today in heaven. Hey, I'm having a holiday when I get to heaven. Okay? Okay, it's the one job that I know won't be relevant any longer in heaven because we will so love each other. Oh, Lord, even Christ's law will be gone. So the first point is this in this excursus is that Christ's law is a single law, single command, and it's at, the, at his heart love. And that one command does away with all commands. You know, in the Lord of the Rings, there's the one ring that replaces all rings. It's something like that, isn't it? I haven't seen it for a few years. This is the one command that replaces all. That's the first point that I want us to see, okay? The second point in this discussion I want to show you is that just as love is endemic or intrinsic or foundational to Jesus' covenant and the new command, so is one other entity. There's one other thing that shares this foundational quality of the new covenant. It's love and, because without this entity, it would be impossible to keep the command of love. Have a guess. What do you think it is? Love is foundational and in grace is, it is grace and associated with a being. Yes, he's teaching us. What is, who's the being? It is Jesus, but he's, he's now given us this being in his place. His spirit, hasn't he? It is his spirit. It is his spirit. So it is Jesus without doubt, but it's his spirit. The point is this, is that love is foundational to the new covenant, but it's not enough. I can't just tell you. It's not with me telling people to love Catherine because no matter how many times I tell her, she cannot do it. I mean, who could? Seriously. Okay? The only way that, that people is going to love Catherine, she needs help. And in Catherine's case, a lot of help. Okay? Okay? And that help comes from? The Spirit. He enables. So here's one move. Douglas Moo is a theologian. This is what he writes. The fruit-producing ministry, ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this in Galatians 5, coupled with the centrality of the Spirit in Paul's teaching, shows us what it means to be a Christian. Okay? He influences our response to Christ's law. Christ's law is that we love each other. What is the Holy Spirit doing with that law in us, who's now deposited within us? What's he doing? He is. He's helping us to apply it, to live it, to believe it. This is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah foresaw the Spirit. This is what he wrote in the Old Covenant, because they could never keep God's law, because they didn't have the Spirit. So in, in uh, Jeremiah 31, it says these words, A time is coming when I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. Where, the, where was the law previously? In what format did the law come to God's people previously? It was on a tablet. Okay? It was on a tablet. Where is it coming now? In our hearts. You see, when it's on a tablet, the way you apply to people, where's Brenton? He's not here. <laughs> the way you apply to people was how? 
You beat them with it, you see. Now the laws on your heart, okay, how now is it applied to people? It, it, it emerges from you. So when people look at Catherine, she doesn't need me to beat her to doing good towards Catherine. When she now looks at Catherine, what's happening in her heart? Yeah, because there's something written on there that's now been ascribed in there, not on tablets, but on her, on her heart, that's making her feel and conduct herself towards Catherine in an entirely new manner. And the reason she's doing that is because the Spirit is making that happen. So Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 4 saw this. He says in 36, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you, Pippa. Okay, a new spirit. I'll remove your heart of stone because if, if truth be told, we are terribly, terribly hardened people. We are. He says he'll remove our heart of flesh and stone and he'll put, he says, verse 27, 36, I will put my spirit in you. Okay? So it's his spirit in Pippa that activates and brings to life Jesus' commands that enables her to do the impossible. Look, I can take you to churches where there's a Jew sitting next to an Arab, a former Muslim and a former Jew, now in faith, and they are sitting next to each other in peace. No one's hurling stones. No one's throwing threats out. But they're in fellowship. They eat together. They worship together. Why? What's happened to their, to their anger and their hatred? What's happened to it? It has because there's been a, a love command burned by the finger of God onto the hearts. And the Spirit of God is making that reality of living in love possible. The new covenant then has the Holy Spirit at the center of it is because the Spirit reconfigures our hearts and enables us to obey the command of love. So we can't, it, we can't do it ourselves even then. It's the Spirit doing it through us. And this is what Douglas Moody says a bit more. Look, this is a bit hard to follow without seeing it, so I'll really slowly, okay? This is what Moody says. The Lord of Christ stands in Paul's thought for those prescriptive principles stemming from the heart of the gospel to love each other. So the law of God is the law of love, which are meant to be applied to specific situations in life by the direction and enabling of the Holy Spirit. He's saying this simply, commenting on these verses in Galatians, that the law of God has been put there and the purpose of the Spirit is to bring that law alive and real and active in my life. I really can love the unlovable. You can do that. You're doing it. We're doing it, aren't we? Look how diverse we are. Who would have thought I'd had any relationship whatsoever with Sylvia? Who would have thought that? Okay, we're worlds apart. We were geographically miles apart. We are gender-wise diametrically opposite, age-wise, well, very similar. <laughs> okay, look, I know my limits, okay? I know my limits, okay? She looks 40, doesn't she? Yeah, especially with that hairdo. Okay, but the Spirit of Christ brings us together. So the second point is this, okay? Christ's law 
okay, it's not something external, it's internal, okay? It's based on love, and it's empowered by the Spirit. He enables us to keep it. If we're struggling in our relationships, if we're struggling to, to, uh, to obey Jesus, if we're struggling to say no to sin, we need more of the Spirit. We need to respond more to the Spirit. Next time we go to do something, it's the Spirit in our hearts, and you can hear Him, you can feel Him saying to you, no. No. Yeah, you can feel it. He works in your heart. Say no. And it's the response of the Christian. We see it in Galatians 5 to keep in step with the Spirit, which means when the Spirit is saying no, it means we respond to that. And the wonderful thing about the Spirit is He gently woos us. And the wonderful thing about Jesus' blood is when we fail, there's mercy. So the, the, it's love, it's powered by the Spirit. And the third thing is this, is that we are given an example of it. Hey, who's ever learned something new? Uh, surfing. Ever learned to do any surfing? No? But if... Pardon? Ice skating? Okay, you learned to do ice skating. Now, did you learn ice skating, Sylvia, by opening a textbook and reading words on how to ice skate? No. What's the best way to learn something? Like crochet. Like crochet, yeah? I, I taught myself. Well, that, that's a good one, but that doesn't help my sermon. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way? Yeah, by... Doing it, but yeah, but even then you wouldn't know how to do it. What is the best way? Even more than trial and error. What is the best way of learning something? Watching somebody. Yeah, yeah, trust. Watching somebody. What is the best way for me to demonstrate to Malachi how to mop the floor? It is not by me slapping a book in his hand. Okay? Show him. Say, look, Malachi, look. Bend over. Mop back, mop forwards. Mop up, in the bucket. Rinse, squeeze. You can see I've done this lots of times, can't you? <laughs> okay, the best way is to watch it in action. Jesus has given us a new commandment of love. He's given us his spirit to enable us to do that. But he doesn't just do that. He shows us what is the perfect model of Jesus' law. Jesus, seriously, the best model for Jesus' law is Jesus. Remember what God said about him? It's in Matthew um, 3 at his baptism. This is my son. I'm kind of happy with him. No? No, what did he say? Well pleased. Here is the perfect example of what it means to be under Christ's law or to love one another. If we want to know, so we have the law in our hearts, we have the Spirit enabling us, we have more than that. We have a partner who models it for us. Hey, the fastest way you can learn to ice skate is have someone do it with you and you watch and follow their step. Jesus does that for us. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 in the communion passage. Follow my example, says Paul, as I follow Christ. 
Because in Paul's point is simply this, is that as I fo- I'm looking at Jesus, I'm seeing how he conducts himself, I'm seeing how he's lived, and I'm watching and following. And the simple point for us as friends is, is that we have in Jesus the model for what Christianity is. How do I know what Christ's law looks like? Well, I can listen to Montaz, but I have to pull up within 40 minutes to get to the answer. Okay? But I get the model for what it is to be under Christ's law by looking at Jesus. So when I open the Bible, you know what we do when we read the Gospels? This is what we should be doing. When we read those Gospels, we're looking for images of Jesus. We're looking at how he conducts himself with an adulterous woman. What does he do with a woman who should be stoned? Yeah, look, that woman has wronged him. She has broken his commands. She's a class A rebel. She's an offense to him. They were right to stone her. That is his just desert. She deserved death by him, his God. But what does he do to her? He forgives her. And so the next time somebody has caught me up on the road, they deserve my wrath. I should ram them off the road and hold them to account and make them pay for the damage they've done to my ego. Okay? Yeah? But what does, when I look at Jesus do for me in that situation, it shows me how to conduct myself. Friends, we have, we have a picture of what the new covenant command looks like. It's Jesus. So when you read the Gospels, that's what we're doing. We're looking at how Jesus conducts himself. When we read the apostles' writings, we're looking at how Jesus instructs us to conduct ourselves. When we look at the New Testament, we're seeing Jesus. So the third point is, is that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of his law. He is the quintessential human and if we could live like him we'd be living in perfect harmony with his covenant i've got a couple of minutes haven't i yes i've got five minutes or so five or ten minutes so let me let me show you therefore what it looks like i want to show you what transition from the old law to jesus's law looks like and i'm going to do it in jesus's sermon on the mount first of all matthew 5 jesus quotes the old law you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. Where's that from? He just quoted, what? what's he just quoted? You've heard he said, long ago, do not murder. What has he just quoted? The Decalogue, okay? He's quoted Moses. These are Jews that he's speaking to. What do they think of Moses? His bees and ease. Okay, he's quoting Moses. The ears are pricked up. Moses, yes, he's kosher. Yeah, we'll have Jesus. Yeah, you can come to our next synagogue meeting, Jesus. Moses. But what does he say next? You've heard he says, do not murder. What does he say next? And at this point, they would have been ready to stone him. What does he say next? But I tell you. What's he saying about Moses? Look, if I go to Jim's house, and he's got his young kids there, and, and they're saying, Daddy says we can't take cookies out of the biscuit tin, and I say, but I'm telling you, you can have as many as you want. What am I doing to Jim? I'm undermining him. I'm rubbishing him. In fact, I'm setting Jim aside. I'm completely taking all of Jim's authority from him. I'm the boss. When Jesus says, you've heard it said long ago, do not 
murder. He's touching. You see, the Decalogue wasn't just a law. It was the high point of Judaism. All of Judaism hangs on the Decalogue. It's, it's, it's the chief thing. It's the Ten Commandments. And Jesus quotes it and says, I don't care what that says. I don't care who said that. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, do not be angry. And his point is simply this. Look, one greater than Moses is here, and I'm giving you the law of the new covenant, and the new covenant law isn't telling us not just not to murder. It says, but I tell you, do not be angry with your brother. You see, he's pushed Moses aside because, hey, who's going to murder? And in his, Moses' place, he's given us his own law, and his own law does what? See, the law of murder has gone, it has, it's now do not get angry, so does that mean I can murder? Because? Yeah, if I'm not angry with, with somebody, why would I murder them? And so here's what's going on, Moses' law is gone, Jesus' one has come in, and what he's shown us is this, that, that the heart of Jesus' law is love, its power is the Holy Spirit, and it's perfectly exhibited in Jesus. Okay? Because when he should have been angry with a woman caught in adultery, how much anger did he show towards her? None. Let me give you another one. So, uh, Matthew 5, 27, the adultery one. You've heard he says, do not commit adultery. What's he quoting now? The Ten Commandments. He's, he's, he's doing Moses again. And now the Jews are thinking, okay, well, okay, maybe we misheard him the first time. He's Moses again. What's he going to say now? What does he say next? You've heard he says, do not commit adultery. Yeah, just before he says that, what's the first part of the phrase? But I tell you. And he does it again. He does it again. He's putting himself over Moses. And what does he say? Do not even look at the woman lustfully. You see, all Moses was doing, he was just masking a problem. You see, because if that guy wasn't committing adultery with that woman, it doesn't mean anything's really changed. It just means he's not getting the end product. But what's probably going on in his mind towards that person? A lot of stuff that shouldn't be. You see, and so Jesus says, look, if you really love that woman who's your neighbor, you'll not only not commit adultery with her, but you'll never think adulterous thought towards her. But everything you do towards her will be love personified. You go out of your way to be generous and kind and loving to her without ever thinking adulterous thoughts towards her. Okay? So at his heart is love, its power source is the Holy Spirit, and the perfect ex ex exhibition of that is Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus was a man who wasn't married. Okay? Who were many of his disciples? They were women. Some of these women were former prostitutes which no doubt meant they looked good okay they were jesus's disciples how did he conduct himself with women who no doubt would have been attracted attractive to him he loved them he treated them with the utmost disrespect and we can be certain that he never envisaged anything on towards towards. So you want to know, guys, how we conduct ourselves with women? We look at how Jesus conducted himself with women, with absolute purity, propriety. 
He becomes our perfect example. Let me give you another one. Matthew 5, 29. So it's something about the radical nature of the new covenant. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to have one part of your body gone and not be thrown into hell. What's he saying about the new covenant there and sin? What's the nature of this new covenant? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it and throw it away. What does that tell you about the new covenant and our response to sin? It's radical. It's radical. It's telling us that the new covenant of love must so, so take a hold of us that we don't pet sin. You know, you know what we can do with some sin sometimes? You know, okay, we've got an issue with um, uh, covetousness. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, we always want uh, you know, the, the latest and the best thing or somebody else, somebody else has got. And, and what, we, what we do is we kind of court it. And we keep it in the background. What's Jesus saying we should do if we, if we... Okay, say we've got an issue with watching the wrong stuff online. Okay? And guys, you know what that looks like. Okay? So we've got an issue with watching the wrong stuff online. And, and, and Matthew says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. What's that telling you about what I should do in that situation? Yeah, yeah. Much more radical. Much more radical because that's not so easy to do. Throw your computer in the bin. That's what he's saying. That, that if you write out cause you to gouge it out. What Jesus is saying under the new covenant is that you take radical steps towards sin. Okay? If you can't handle the computer by yourself at night, throw the computer in the bin. There's an in-between step. You can get, okay, here's an in-between step. There was an, is you can get special protections for computers whereby they, they inhibit access to wrong places. Okay, that's step one. Step two is get rid of your computer. Okay, so the, the new covenant system is such that it requires radical action to sin. And the final thing, let me just say to you, because I need to finish, my time is gone. And the final thing is, in the new covenant, let me give you one more, because I'm not going to finish both. The, the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is another Decalogue commandment. It's the fourth commandment of, of, of the Decalogue. Keep the Lord's Day holy. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath over and over and over and over and over and over again? Desecrated it. Okay? Can you see what he's saying about Moses there? So he's not now saying it in speech, but by his actions. What's he doing to Moses? He's rubbishing him because he was perpetually breaking the Sabbath. You see, because, see, you're breaking the Sabbath if you do your regular work on the Sabbath. So if your regular work is, um, I don't know, serving fish and chips, okay, you do that six days a week. If you did that on the Sabbath, what are you doing? Okay, but if your work was mowing lawns six days a week, okay, if your work was mowing the lawn six days a week, okay, but on the Sabbath you gave somebody some fish and chips, would you be breaking the Sabbath? No, because you're not doing your regular work. Now, what was Jesus' regular work in the week? What did he do all week? Yeah. Healing. And what does he do on the Sabbath that the Pharisees were rightly to be angry with him for? Healing. He was profaning the Sabbath over and over and over again. And so the point is, again, he's pushing Moses out. He's replacing the law. So what happens to the Sabbath? So we said that anger goes. Sorry, murder goes. We're now not to be angry. Adultery goes. is out the window. We're, not, we, we're, we're to think... Nice thoughts about our female friends. The Sabbath is gone, so what, what's in its place? What does Jesus do with the Sabbath? 
So what I'm saying, the Sabbath is the Saturday, the Sabbath of rest and all the laws. It's all, if I'm saying Jesus is, it's gone. What's he done with it then? What happens to that one? Yes, it is that time. You got it. It is. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11? Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? That's Sabbath rest. Because you know what? where that is in Matthew 11? It's in all the Sabbath passages that Jesus is breaking. Matthew hasn't put it there by accident. He's put it right in, the, in all those Sabbath incidences that Jesus is breaking, and he inserts in there. And what's Jesus saying? Come unto me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you. Come to me, I will give you Sabbath. And then Hebrews, turn to this please, it's worth turning to. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 says these wonderful things that shows what's happened to the Sabbath. Okay, now that Jesus has come. Hebrews 4 verses 9 and 10, and I'll finish with this, I promise you. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. Therefore, are you there? Hebrews 4. Timothy, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrew, James. If you've gone to James, you've gone too far. If you're in Titus, you haven't gone far enough. Okay. Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for God's people. So there is a Sabbath in, in the New Covenant. Okay. Verse 10, what does it say that Sabbath is? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work just as God has done. What is God's rest? Jesus says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. It's to come to Jesus. Your Christian faith is Sabbath rest. You are now resting from law. That's what he says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. Why, what were they weary heavy laden from? Moses and the law. Okay. Yeah, and sin. And Calvin says this, that the Sabbath rest is the rest of Christianity. We enter God's rest. We know rest from sin and rest from trying to keep the law because we don't have to keep the law because Jesus has kept it for us. And just as all of these laws will disintegrate by the time we get to heaven, so the law of adultery has gone. It's now the law of not thinking poor things about our sister. But when we get to heaven, that law won't be in place because we'll do it perfectly. So the law of the Sabbath is gone. We're now living in the Sabbath. But that will be fully gone in heaven. What will heaven be? What is heaven? Sabbath. Sabbath. Heaven is the Sabbath rest of the people of God. And so that's where that is going. I need to finish. I said I'll finish. So here's the three things I've said to you, friends, this morning. Is that we're not on the law. We're on the Christ's law, but we're not antinomian. Christ's law has its own principles, but it only has one. What is it? It's love. And that love is seen through Jesus. Okay. So firstly, his foundation is love. His secondary foundation is the Holy Spirit who enables us to be done. And thirdly, it's exhibited perfectly in Jesus. Which means, what is the job of a preacher who stands in the lectern or the pulpit of a church? If Jesus is the perfect personification of what the new covenant looks like, what is the job of a pastor? And a pastor that doesn't do this should be sacked. What is the job of a pastor? Point us to Jesus. If you're a pastor, if you don't leave here Sunday by Sunday with Jesus as the image that was given to you, you're in the wrong church. You're paying that guy for nothing. 
because his sole priority is not to bash you on the head of what you failed to do. You'll never beat anybody into Jesus. He's to demonstrate and point you to Jesus. Sir, we must see Jesus. Sunday school teachers, what must your kids sleep with every Sunday morning? A picture of Jesus. Parents, what must you send your kids off to school with every morning? A picture of Jesus. Pastors, what must your flock be given a picture of in every sermon? Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 